Have you seen the price of gold lately? It's hitting all-time highs. And when it comes to investing in gold, check out Noble Gold Investments. They have a track record of excellence that's second to none. Just look at their thousands of five-star reviews on Trustpilot, Google, and the Better Business Bureau. Customers rave about their knowledgeable staff, smooth investment process, and life-changing results, which you can see for yourself online. That's the kind of reputation you can count on. But it's not just about the reviews. Noble Gold Investments truly care about their clients. They take the time to understand your unique needs and goals, and they give expert guidance every step of the way. That level of personalized service is rare in this industry. Look, when it comes to securing your financial future, you can't afford to take chances. Go with the gold company that has earned the trust of countless investors. Visit noblegoldinvestments.com slash Pool today and discover why Noble Gold Investments is the only choice for smart, secure gold investments. Or call them at 877-646-5347. Again, that's 877-646-5347. Make sure to go to TimCast.com, click join us and become a member to support this podcast and all the work we do, and you'll get access to exclusive uncensored segments from TimCast IRL and way more. Now, let's jump into the first story. Donald Trump and his 18 co-defendants, co-conspirators, as the Democrats are calling him, must surrender in nine days to the Fulton County Jail. There will be no special treatment. Trump will receive a mugshot and be held in a disgusting jail that is so bad, leftists are even bringing it up right now that the conditions are horrifying and that some people have actually died there. They want Donald Trump and, I mean, his chief of staff, his lawyers, to surrender themselves to this facility. And this is, the, uh, uh, this is what we're waiting for. And I have a question. My question is, what happens if Donald Trump does not surrender? Alongside this, Ron DeSantis has come out and said, it's, it's partly Trump's own fault. And you know what? Ron DeSantis is right. Donald Trump could have fired many of these people. Donald Trump could have gone after Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump didn't want to fire certain intelligence agencies, agency individuals, because he was concerned of political backlash. He didn't want to go after Hillary Clinton because he was concerned about political backlash. And he opened the door. He said, don't worry, go do your thing. And now they are gutting and ripping apart this country to go after him. So my question is this. With the news about Ron DeSantis saying that Trump shares some of the blame here, Ron DeSantis is explicitly stating that the charges against Trump are unjust. They're wrong. That Donald Trump could have done something to stop it by weeding out the Soros prosecutors. So here's my question for Ron DeSantis. If Donald Trump seeks safe harbor in Florida, refusing to surrender, will you extradite? Or will you allow federal forces under the Biden administration to seek to remove Donald Trump and extradite? This is unprecedented. I have no idea what happens. Maybe many of you do. But my question is this. Donald Trump goes to Mar-a-Lago. He publicly announces that he will not surrender to false charges. Many of his former staff and his lawyers, co-conspirators, they say, they say the same thing. 
These are fake charges, and we refuse to abide by these demands. Already, Mark Meadows has filed to have the case moved to a federal court so that he can argue the supremacy clause and basically quash the whole thing. So why would they travel to Georgia to surrender to charges that they think are fake? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. I got to say, I think the most likely scenario is that Donald Trump and all the defendants just surrender. But uh, it got me thinking. If Donald Trump stays in Florida, what happens if he just says no? Georgia's a red state, supposedly, but, you know, kind of shifts blue or it's shifting blue. And so I wonder how this would play out. I don't have the answers. Donald Trump travels only to red states from now on, avoiding connections in uh, blue states or flies private only between red states. Red states refuse to extradite. Blue states agree to extradite. It wouldn't even be so simple. Some red states would absolutely extradite. Would any? I don't know. I don't know. This is the news. Trump is expected to be booked at Fulton County Jail. Amazing. Former President Donald Trump is expected to surrender at the Fulton County Jail. The local sheriff said Tuesday in a statement, along with the other 18 co-defendants charged on Monday in the Georgia 2020 election subversion case. Trump, who was charged with 13 counts, including racketeering, has not publicly indicated when he intends to surrender ahead of the August 25th deadline imposed by Fulton County DA Fannie Willis. The statement from the Fulton County Sheriff's Office addressed the key question of where the former president would be arrested and processed as a criminal defendant. Quote, at this point, based on guidance received from the district attorney's office and presiding judge, it is expected that all 19 defendants named in the indictment will be booked at the Rice Street Jail, the statement said. Keep in mind, Defendants can turn themselves in at any time. The jail is open 24-7. Also, due to the unprecedented nature of, the, of this case, some circumstances may change with little to no warning. Most defendants charged in Fulton County are typically booked at the Fulton County Jail. Fulton County Sheriff Pat Labatt previously suggested he wants to treat the defendants charged in the Trump election subversion case the same as any other defendant would be treated. Unless someone tells me differently, we will be following normal practices. It doesn't matter your status. We will have mug shots ready for you. That's impossible. Donald Trump has Secret Service protection. Some have suggested if Donald Trump does not submit to the charges, the Secret Service will be obligated to apprehend and bring him in. I do not believe that is true. I, the secrets, that's outside the jurisdiction of the Secret Service to arrest the president himself. But I don't know. That could be wrong. They say the sheriff will now have to negotiate with Secret Service and Trump's attorneys on the logistics of Trump's surrender. Defendants who are not immediately arrested upon indictment, as was the case for Trump and his associates, usually negotiate bond if applicable, as well as other terms of release with the district attorney's office. Rudy Giuliani, Trump's former lawyer who was also charged in the case, said Tuesday on WABC Talk Radio that he would pick a day next week to surrender to authorities, adding, there has to be bail, I imagine. Kind of silly for me to have bail, I mean, I showed up there voluntarily and testified. The 41 count indictment unsealed Monday night lays out a sweeping investigation led by Willis into some of the most egregious efforts by Trump's allies to meddle in the 2020 election. Blah, blah. We get it. And this is the big question. The question of whether or not we accelerate, escalate, or whether or not Trump simply surrenders to all of this. 
DeSantis says Trump shares blame for legal troubles because he had three years to fire FBI chief Christopher Wray, let Hillary Clinton off the hook and failed to fire Soros backed prosecutors. A bold statement, Ron DeSantis, a bold statement. I like Ron DeSantis. I really do. I just think he's running a bad campaign. He could do better. He's got to pick things up. But I said this with the federal indictments. I said this with the New York indictments. Donald Trump could go to Florida and Ron DeSantis could earn massive public support from Trump supporters and from uh, uh, from Trump himself. If Ron DeSantis comes out right now and says, Donald J. Trump lives in Florida at Mar-a-Lago, and if he is at home in Mar-a-Lago, I will not have state police or law enforcement seek to apprehend and extradite him. These charges are trumped up. These charges are political and we will not play a role, nor will I allow any law enforcement to enter Florida territory for the purpose of extraditing Donald Trump. Could you imagine if Ron DeSantis said that? Well, here's the play, Donald Trump. Put Ron DeSantis to the test. You go to Florida and you say, what say you, Ron DeSantis? And there's the question. Will Ron DeSantis simply say, no, I'm sorry, Donald, I can't get involved in this in this conflict with Georgia. You know, they're they're a neighboring state to the north. And so we're going to have no choice but to have you arrested uh, due to our agreements with Georgia. You will be arrested. You will be driven to the jail where you will sit in a jail cell. This is unprecedented stuff. The conversation around civil war has been bubbling up. And oh boy, everybody's got uh, me on their minds. I have been trending since yesterday. It's funny though, they say I'm trending, but I'm not really trending. It's like in this sphere I am. I'd love to be trending nationwide or worldwide. It's rarely, it's it's happened a few times, but rarely. But everyone in this space is uh, asking the question about whether or not I am correct in my assessment about civil war. Well, look, I mean, uh, it's not, I, I didn't make this up, okay? It was that Princeton professor who said you're in a cold civil war. And it's an unoriginal idea coming from me. I just happen to say it a lot because I agree with many of these people. But we can uh, defer to Stephen Marsh, smart guy, I had a great conversation with him. He's more of a liberal multicultural democracy guy. He's Canadian, by the way. And he says we are in civil strife. Civil strife is the period that occurs just before civil war. And I think he is 100% correct. That is to say, Bleeding Kansas. Bleeding Kansas was a seven-year period that happened just before the American Civil War, where people were killing each other in Kansas over whether or not Kansas would become a slave or a free state. Ultimately, as the conflict escalated, you entered nationwide conflict with the start of the Civil War. But most people don't think of Bleeding Kansas as the start of the Civil War, but Bleeding Kansas is 100% the Civil War period. Semantics, whatever. Call it whatever you want. I don't know. I think that depending on what happens next determines whether or not history will write about the communist revolution, the neo-Marxist revolution in the United States, the rise of the military dictatorship. This could go the way of the Spanish Civil War. It could go the way of Weimar Germany. It could go the way of the Bolshevik Revolution. It could go the, the way of the American Civil War. I honestly have no idea what happens. 
I can tell. Recession and inflation are here. Gas, housing, and everyday goods are up, way up. And you want to be ready for any situation. So what would you do if there's no food on the shelf? Arc Heirloom Seeds are here to help. Did you know 99% of seeds sold today can't reproduce? With Heirloom Seeds, you only have to plant once. Then you can grow year after year, giving you and your family stability and security because things are getting crazy out there. Our all-in-one seed kit provides everything you need to grow your own food. This premium seed kit has over 65 varieties, 50,000 seeds in stores for 15 years. You'll also get our exclusive seed guide to make growing a no-brainer. Arc Seed Kits is a family-owned and operated business and the most trusted name in the nation for over 15 years. Our mandate is to get heirloom seeds into every home in America. Go to arcseedkits.com today and get free shipping by entering promo code podcast. That's arkseedkits.com, promo code podcast. Get your seeds, get prepared, get growing. arcseedkits.com you this these this next week is critical in determining where we go think about it this way right now leftist neo-marxist forces are demanding that leadership in the maga faction whatever you want to call it surrender without dispute without conflict surrender literal Surrender, lay down, give up. It's over. Now, of course, Trump and the 19, uh, the 18 other defendants may say this is but a battle in a legal war of a cold civil war. And so we will to keep tensions calm. But that's critical. What if Trump says, I refuse to surrender, give me liberty or give me death or something like this. Trump's refusal to surrender will crank the dial up past 11. That's all I can say. I mean, think about the ramifications of Trump and any of these co-defendants not surrendering. Now, there's a few of the defendants that are local election officials. They're not the most prominent of individuals, but you have the chief of staff to the president that they're trying to bring in to surrender. Let me make this as clear as I can. I don't know what will happen. I don't know what you call the period we're in. But I can say that neo-Marxist forces are seeking to arrest the former presidential administration. We are beyond the president having his political rival arrested. And we are now at the point where neo-Marxist forces seek the surrender of the previous administration. That's right. Trump's lawyer. Lawyers his former chief of staff, and an attorney for the State Department. Uh, what was it? Uh, acting attorney general? Let me make sure I get this. Uh, I have this, I have this uh, correct here. That's Jeffrey Clark. I believe Jeffrey Clark, and I'm going to double check here just because I want to make sure I have this uh, former acting assistant attorney general. Okay, there we go. That's important. Neo-Marxist forces in Georgia demand the surrender of a presidential administration and the front runner against Joe Biden. Call it whatever you want, whatever. Fine, I don't care. Civil war? Maybe not. Maybe not civil war if they all just bow their heads and say, we're sorry. Will Donald Trump and these lawyers hang their heads in shame, be placed in handcuffs, trotted into a jail cell, where they are looked in the eyes and said, you lose. 
You have no power here. Goodbye. Maybe they'll give him bail. Maybe they won't. Already arguments have been made that Donald Trump has violated the terms of bail in the federal case against him brought by Jack Smith, that by posting on Truth Social, he is intimidating witnesses and therefore should be remanded. In fact, the judge in that case has a quote where she laments the fact that Donald Trump remains free. So will Donald Trump surrender? I have, I think it's entirely possible that Trump gets remanded in a place like Georgia. These people are a bit more zealous, but that is the question. Would Ron DeSantis or any other Republican defend the freedom of these individuals and refuse them to be jailed and extradited? I mean, if Republicans like DeSantis, McCarthy and uh, any other member of Congress, if they're if they're coming out and saying this is a political attack and the charges are, are BS, why would we expect Trump or anyone to surrender? But you know what? I think they will. I think they will because perhaps Mike Cernovich is correct about this. I give you his tweets. Mike Cernovich says, my only disagreement with Tim Cast's assessment of it being a civil war is that would imply two sides fighting. We are instead in the pre-genocide phase of U.S. history. Conservatives and Trump supporters are depersonalized and rounded up. This is from Genocide Watch. Okay. What is his uh, post from Genocide Watch say? One, classification. Ah, yes, this, uh, this meme has gone around quite a bit. And it was going around a few years ago. So let's break it down. Classification. Identifying the group of people for whom you want to remove. Yes, maggots, they call them. Trump supporters, Trumpians. Okay. Symbolization. What does that mean? The MAGA symbol, Trump's hair, the red hat. Ah, there it is. An easy way to determine who they are. Discrimination. Well, of course, people have been fired from their jobs. They have been banned off social media. Dehumanization. Oh, yeah, we already mentioned that. The maggots. Organization. You're talking about the far left groups that have formed groups like Rose City Antifa and other Antifa factions that have engaged in widespread violence, vandalism, and even murder in some instances and have faced almost no accountability. Hmm. Polarization. That one's obvious. Preparation. Call it whatever you want. Persecution, extermination, and denial. You could probably apply something like this to a lot of different groups or a lot of different people. So I don't know if it's true or whatever. Symbolism. They're just uh, saying, you know, these could be what's happening right now. And you can apply this stuff to a lot of people, I suppose. But based on how the government is handling things, I'd certainly say it's not Antifa who's being persecuted, but the polarization is happening right before our eyes. In this tweet from Hans Mank, I'm sorry, I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly, he says, these messages are from the time period while Trump was president. Meanwhile, Durham wasn't even allowed to see and didn't want to see thousands of messages exchanged among Hillary Clinton's Russiagate operatives, calling this Banana Republic stuff as an insult to Banana Republics. Marina Medvin says feds have Trump's DMs, even deleted ones and unsent drafted tweets. That's right. The Democratic regime, I don't know if you can call it Democratic, that's so silly, but I guess you can call North uh, North Korea the Democratic People's Republic of Korea or whatever it is they call it. They have Donald Trump's private messages that he sent on Twitter. Apparently, some of them are very stupid, like I guess there's a picture of a taco salad or something like that. You know, I don't know. But hold on. How do the feds 
have Donald Trump's communications. That's amazing. And, you know, to be honest, it's partly Trump's fault. He allowed this festering mold to grow under his own presidency. And now they're going to excise him. They have his private messages. Oh, boy. Nothing is sacred. Where does this go, my friends, is the ultimate question. Seeing all of this happen, seeing that uh, an excellent point made by Hans, Durham didn't look at Hillary Clinton's communications. That's incredible. The Russiagate hoax. What about Ukraine? Nothing. Mike Cernovich pointed out the other day um, that the Republicans have a comparable majority in the House that Nancy Pelosi did. And Nancy Pelosi was able to wage war on Donald Trump and his supporters. And Republicans right now are doing nothing. And a lot of people said this uh, last night. We talked about it on Tim Guest IRL. They said that Kevin McCarthy's got no balls. I said, are you kidding? That dude's got ironclad testicles, balls of steel. To look into the eyes of Trump supporters and conservatives and Republicans and say, I, I, I'm fighting for you. And then turn around with a gigantic demonic grin laughing all the way back to his uniparty hangout where he's like, don't worry, those morons believed every word. So therein lies the question. Perhaps it is not a civil war. Perhaps Cernovich is correct. But I've brought this point up before. Civil war implies two factions are fighting, two or more factions. And that's not what we have. But I must disagree with Mike Cernovich. I must disagree. Let's have the conversation, Mike. Uh, I think you're a really, really smart guy and you are correct about so much of this. My disagreement is superficial. He says that his disagreement with me is that it's not a civil war because two sides are fighting. It would imply two or more sides are fighting. The reason I disagree with you is because the actions being taken by the government right now could lead to the instability of rising factions around the country. I think the border plays a large role in this. It, it, it is not simple to say civil war means that Trumpian factions fight with neo-Marxist factions. No, 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 no. There could be a group of people in Arizona who don't care at all about Donald Trump, only care about the border. They're growing angry that traffickers are bringing children and drugs over the border. They can't seem to get any action done. So they form a militarized faction. Some of these factions already exist. There were stories about the Minutemen, I think they called themselves years ago. What happens when this faction comes up, forms border barriers and border checkpoints and starts enforcing the law as they see fit to protect their community, thinking that Joe Biden has abandoned them completely? The federal government then does what? Tries to arrest them? What happens when these people say, we don't recognize your failed authority, you have no jurisdiction here? Sure, the feds can then sweep in with federal law enforcement and a massive uh, use, uh, showing of force, Waco or otherwise. But the issue is, what happens when this pops up all over the country? We've already seen Chaz. We've already seen the George Floyd Autonomous Zone. There have already been instances where people have succeeded in separating themselves from local law enforcement question. Does it stop there? Perhaps it does. I don't know what the future holds. I'm not psychic. However, as Phil Labonte likes to say, where's the off-ramp? And I agree with him. There's no off-ramp. You know, there's a, there are these people that like to post uh, screenshots of my tweets where I said civil war, civil war, civil war. I don't know if the intention there is to insult me for saying it. Perhaps it is to mock me for saying it. But the funny thing is, all they're doing is proving that I was correct in my assessment of escalation. When I say in 2019 that the things they're doing 
are leading towards civil war. Then in 2020, you get the mass rioting. And I say this is heading leading to civil war. Perhaps we're already in one civil war period. And then January 6th happened. And I loved this one. I loved this one. Ryan Long came on the show and it was kind of an ambush. I like Ryan. He's a friend. But right when we start the show, he goes, what's up with this civil war, war talk? Tim, you, 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 last time I was here, you had me freaked out because you were talking about all this stuff happening. And, and, and what's, what, where's the civil war? And then I just said, stone faced on January 6, 800 Trump supporters stormed their way up the st- stairs of the Capitol building, fighting with police and tearing down barricades. The police shot and killed a veteran, Ashley Babbitt. On the other side of the building, police opened the doors, allowing several people into the Capitol. This disrupted the Electoral College vote count. Yeah, so where is it? I don't know. Perhaps that was a large component of it. I find it absolutely hilarious that the liberals and leftists would seek to insult me for having said civil war was coming or that we were on a path towards one or we were in a cold civil war. And then for the entirety of 2021, they screamed that Donald Trump tried to lead a coup against the United States, an insurrection. They actually used insurrection provisions in the Constitution to strip politicians of their right to hold office. Coy Griffin, read that story. And now, as if their brains are suffering intense amnesia, they forget all of these things already happened. So let me break it down for you, my friends. Where are we now? Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S.? With more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S., they have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code POOL at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code POOL at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code POOL. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. In the lead up to Donald Trump's election, there were several extreme instances of violence, people being beaten in the street. In one instance, a man tried to take the gun from a police officer with the intention of killing Donald Trump. Don't remember that story? Wow, crazy. But a lot of people say, hey, look, man, RFK, JFK, political leaders have been assassinated before. Okay, so maybe it's not civil war. Right. But we're escalating towards one. After Donald Trump is elected, Hillary Clinton, actually, I'm sorry, during the campaign for Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton accuses Trump of secretly working for Russia. Uh, Her campaign funds the Steele dossier. Allegations are made that Donald Trump was a Soviet agent. I'm not saying Russian, Soviet. Jonathan Chait goes on MSNBC and there's a possibility that Trump has been working for Russia since the 80s. Yeah, during the Soviet Union. Interesting. This leads to Trump's administration being cuffed, 
weighted down with the investigation. Trump says he can't fire people because there's special counsel investigating him as to whether or not he's a Soviet spy secretly trying to destroy this country. In the meantime, street violence is erupting all across the U.S. At one point, a man named Aaron Danielson is shot twice in the chest and killed. We also have the instance during the summer of love where a man in Austin driving an Uber is approached by, a, by an extremist with a rifle at low ready who he shoots and kills. That man is now in prison. Those are not the only instances of death that occurred. You had the Chaz, where far left extremists created an autonomous zone. And do, do you, did you forget the point at which the security forces of the autonomous zone opened fire on a white SUV unloading hundreds of rounds over the span of a few minutes, killing, I believe, killing a couple teenagers. There's also the, also the George Floyd autonomous zone. None of these are, are to imply that we are in an active civil war, just that it's entirely possible and the escalation is happening right before us. I think perhaps Stephen Marsh is correct when he says civil strife. OK, where are we now? An election is held. There's widespread accusations of fraud. One faction says no. One faction says yes. It doesn't matter what you think is true. People tell me I'm wrong. That's fine. I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Others say it's a bunch of conspiracy theory nonsense. Some say it's true and the left is trying to hide it and cover it up. Doesn't matter. The fact is there are two prevailing worldviews. The overwhelming majority of Republicans believe the election was stolen and Joe Biden is illegitimate. The overwhelming majority of Democrats believe that Donald Trump stole the election and that his presidency was illegitimate, thus justifying all of the actions they took and the actions they're taking now. Where are we at today? Perhaps we'll avert a civil war if Donald Trump whimpers, bows his head and crawls into the Fulton County jail crying, saying, I guess I lost. Maybe Donald Trump will just give up and surrender. Maybe Jenna Ellis and Mark Meadows will just quiver and whimper as they're brought into a jail cell that the left laments as being despicable, decrepit, a crypt where people die. Maybe. Maybe they'll remand Trump. Maybe they won't. I don't know. All of this is happening right before your eyes. It's never happened before in American history. So call it whatever you want. I don't care. But here's what I do think. Why the mockery from the left over the idea of civil war now? Why are there even some conservatives saying it's irresponsible for me to say, despite the fact that many others have, have been saying it before me, that many others have been calling it out uh, in, in louder ways? Well, I'll tell you two things. Many of these conservatives, their protestantists, despise and fear the idea of saying civil war only now, despite the fact I've been saying this for years, because they know they've lost and they're hoping they can avoid the genocide phase. So they're going to come out and say, no, no, calm down, everyone, calm down, everyone, just submit, just submit. I am not saying there should be violence, quite the opposite. I'm saying that there should be legal challenges in every possible way. And that Donald Trump should win the presidency or maybe Vivek or something or Ron DeSantis. And then we should clear out the corruption. That's the most appropriate path to victory. The Democrats are engaging in the actions they're engaging in because they're losing and they're terrified. Seriously, you look at Target, their sales collapsed because of the pride merchandise. It's a story I'll cover later. You have um, Sound of Freedom surpassing Indiana Jones. You have Bud Light's collapse. Yeah, we're winning this one. And that's why they're engaging in serious acts of, of violence. But you have Democrats and leftists laughing and mocking the idea of civil war. Why? Because they're hoping that they can accelerate everything, that they can arrest their political opponents without any kind of opposition. That's why they say, no, no, no. What a stupid idiot. 
Haha, mock the idiot. It's powerful technique. Try and ridicule someone. I'm sorry to say, I don't care what you think to the crackpots, to the people who are trying to uh, create some kind of neo-Marxist revolution. Your opinions mean nothing to me. And these, 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 these anti-Trump neocons, sorry, your opinions mean nothing to me as well. I'm going to say what I think. There are a lot of people who say, Tim, you shouldn't say that anyway, even if you think it's true. And I'm like, whatever, man. There are a lot of personalities who supported Donald Trump and turned on him because they fear going to prison because they celebrated his election fraud claims. They celebrated January 6th. They encouraged people to go to D.C. And now they think they're going to get arrested next. I think it's probably true they'll get arrested next. Some people have said, well, eventually that's you, Tim. Eventually you get arrested, dude. If it escalates to the point of true civil conflict, ain't nobody safe for nothing. They'll make up charges against anybody, justify whatever they want. And therein lies the point. I'm going to keep saying what I think is happening. I don't fear anything. It's happening. Whatever. It is what it is. We must have uh, peaceful, nonviolent civil disobedience. We must have ballot harvesting, ballot chasing. People must register more people to vote. One of the most important things I've heard is you must encourage everyone you know to sign up for X, Twitter, to get on the platform. Don't make it political. Don't don't tell them to support Trump or the the actual most brilliant thing I've heard. People often ask me, how do I get people to understand? And it's simple. Just say, hey, you should sign up for Twitter because I'm on there. I post stuff. It's it's you'll 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 hear a lot. And they'll say, well, how did you, what's going on with Trump? And I'll be like, look, you'll hear from the people calling him out like right away when they post, you should do it, sign up. This actually exposes them to a wide array of information. I don't know where we're going, my friends. I can only tell you where we're at. And the big question I have for all of you in the comments below, should Trump surrender? What if Trump doesn't surrender? What if he does? What if, what if he surrenders? And the judge and the DA say Trump should be remanded to custody and not allowed to leave because he will flee. The Democrat DA, the special Jack Smith, already argued Trump is a flight risk. He is a billionaire with properties all over the world and several jets and helicopters. He can just get on a plane and fly away and you can't stop him. Any other fugitive goes to the airport, they'll know he's there and they'll apprehend you. Donald Trump, he can just walk onto his plane. There's nothing you can do about it. He can say, I'm, I'm getting on a plane to Georgia. And then afterwards, I'm going to fly back to Bedminster or Mar-a-Lago. And they say, OK. And then once the plane is in the air, Trump can say, divert to El Salvador. They can't stop him. So what if they say, now that Trump has surrendered, we will not release him? I wouldn't put it past him. I'm going to leave it there. There's a lot more to talk about. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. With the news of Donald Trump's indictment, as well as the indictment of his personnel and lawyers, many people are blackpilled. They're concerned that this is it. It's the end. I don't think so. In fact, I think quite the opposite. What we're seeing with the prosecution of Donald Trump is pure panic. The machine is breaking down. They know it. And there's nothing they can do to stop it. The only thing they have left is raw power. Moves of the desperate, of the fearful. I wouldn't be surprised if many of these Democrats are crying at night. Why? Culturally, 
the shift is happening. Y'all have heard the song Rich Men North of Richmond. Sure you have. It got like 10 million views on YouTube, 10 million hits plus, not to mention all the other social media in a matter of days because the message resonates. And now we have more major breaking news. Oh, and it's not just this one story, my friends. It's several stories. Pride Month backlash hurt Target sales. They fell for the first time in six years. Holy crap. The boycott. This is remarkable. I got a lot of people asking me about what I think is going to happen in 2024. They say Donald Trump can't win. And I say, are you crazy? Of course he can win. That's why they're doing what they're doing. Now, I don't want to get all super political. I want to talk to you about cultural issues. But this is the point. They keep screaming in our faces. We have no power. We have no authority. We can't win. We are but stupid, poor men south of Richmond. I'm not south of Richmond, by the way. In the literal sense, I'm a rich man north of Richmond, but not who Oliver Anthony was talking about. You get my point. I'm making a joke. They say these things because we're winning. When when the Target Pride Month boycott started, it had already been in effect. And the media tried coming out claiming that conservatives and, you know, anti-woke people or whatever. They say everyone's a conservative or right wing, but that's stupid. They said that they were trying to drum up a, 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 a cause against Target. In reality, the news broke because of the backlash. Parents enter Target and they see sexualized content products right in the front and they got their kids with them. And they said no. They said no. There's more news. Billy Bush, the Anheuser-Busch family, the heirs want to buy back Bud Light because InBev is destroying it. Wow. That's amazing. And then we got news about Sound of Freedom, my friends. It has officially surpassed Dial of Destiny. It is in the top 10 films of the year, and it didn't even launch internationally. Now that is winning, and they know it. So the only thing they can do is humiliate and strike fear into your hearts. But I don't think it works. 2024 is likely going to be crazy. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm fearful. So long as we stay the course, remain peaceful, build culture, call out the liars, we will win. And anyone telling you you can't win is lying. I see a lot of people say Trump can't win. I see Trump supporters saying Trump can't win. And I'm like, nah, get that defeatist stuff out of here. Proper ballot chasing, ballot harvesting, voter registration initiatives, ground activism, knocking door to door, plus a legal apparatus prepared to stop any nonsense. And Trump wins. It's another morning and you're all set for work. You grab your coffee, head out the door and your car decides today's the day it won't start. Panic sets in. You're not just late. You're stranded. Get ahead of unexpected car repairs before they strike with CarShield, the most trusted vehicle protection company. For almost 20 years, CarShield has saved millions of drivers from repair nightmares with low monthly plans that cover up to 5,000 major parts and systems, like pricey transmission and engine repairs and check engine light mysteries. Visit CarShield today at carshield.com carlson. Plans include unlimited miles, 24-7 roadside assistance, help with flats, lockouts, and rental car options. Save 20% and get a 
free quote by visiting CarShield online at carshield.com slash Carlson. Don't wait for the next surprise. Choose peace of mind with CarShield. Go to carshield.com slash Carlson and save 20% today. The culture here proves it. You cannot come to me and say that Donald Trump stands no chance while the American people reject wokeness across the board. With Target getting hit, with Bud Light getting hit, with the success of Sound of Freedom, we can see, and these aren't, aren't the only stories, just the ones I've pulled up, we can see that the American people are standing up and doing something very simple. They're saying, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. They are taking humble and subtle actions which are wreaking havoc on the machine. So what happens when these simple people take the same exact sentiment that they reject Target with or Bud Light with? What happens when they take that sentiment to the voting booth? The only argument the naysayers have is that the deep state will stop you. If that were true, they would not be trying to put Trump in prison. If it were true that they controlled everything so so miraculously and powerfully, they wouldn't have to do any of this. No, my friends, what you are seeing is victory on the horizon. Now, you didn't win yet. Keep up this stuff. This is amazing. Pride Month hurt target. Wow. Bud Light collapsing. Sound of freedom skyrocketing. Rich men north of Richmond resonating in the hearts and minds of the working class in this country. And the machine so desperate to smear Oliver Anthony. I love to see it. They're so scared. I'm not. I'm enjoying life. As dangerous and as crazy things may be. Many people say, you know, civil war is trending. I've said civil war. People have said revolution, communist revolution attempted. I, I do not believe in the long run we lose this one. Let me bring you the news. Let's read the news here because these stories get me all excited. CNN reports Target's quarterly sales fell for the first time in six years as consumers pulled back on home goods, clothing and other discretionary goods. Backlash to Target's Pride Month clothing collection and the company's response also hit sales. You'll love to hear it, don't you? Sales at stores open for at least one year dropped 5.4% last quarter, including a 10.5% drop online. The company also cut its annual sales forecast. Still, Target's profit came in higher than Wall Street's expectations, and the stock rose 8% in pre-market trading. Let's see how their stock handles it. Hey, maybe it goes up. Who am I? I don't know. I can only tell you. Here's the one takeaway you get from this story. People stopped shopping at Target because of their Pride Month collection. Because they're saying enough. I'm not interested in this stuff. Target was one of the strongest performing retailers during the pandemic, blah, blah, blah. This we know. And Pride Month backlash. Target has also been embroiled in the political culture wars over gender and sexual orientation. Beginning in May, Target also faced a homophobic campaign that went viral on social media over its annual Pride Month clothing collection. Fueled by far right personalities, the anti-LGBTQ campaign spread misleading information about the Pride Month products. The campaign became hostile with violent threats levied against Target employees, blah, blah, blah. Stop. Lie, CNN. Here's the real story. The hostilities were before the news reports. There was reports about people, <clears throat> or I should put it this way. Target said 
that individuals had confronted employees over the Pride Month merchandise before there was a news report about any proposed boycott. That's right. Parents were angry. Then when the culture wars picked this up online, they said, look at what's going on with Target, not the other way around. CNN would have you believe that some right wing personality, say a Benny Johnson type, went to Target and said, can you believe what they're doing? And then parents went, oh, harumph, I say. Inverse. Parents going to Target trying to buy stuff, saw this, got angry, confronted employees. The story started to go viral, and then right-wing personalities picked it up and started talking about it. But far be it from CNN to do any actual research on the timeline here. Target's response frustrated supporters of gay and trans rights because the company caved to bigoted pressure. And that's amazing. They say heading into Wednesday, Target's stock dropped 27% over the past year. So you notice how they lead with their stock is actually up in pre-market trading 8% and it's down 27% over the past year. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. I think it's important to point out it may still go up, but this news may take a, it may be a big hit. Then we have this. I love this one from the examiner. Anheuser-Busch Air offers to buy back Bud Light will make the brand great again. Okay. I tell you this. If Anheuser-Busch Air Billy Bush buys back Bud Light, announces that they have bought back the brand, outright rejects what Bud Light proposed, I will go to the store and I will buy out their entire supply of Bud Light on the spot. It sounds big. It's not that much. The local liquor store here would probably have like 120 cans and maybe like you know, 120 bottles, maybe more than that. Liquor store around near me is actually relatively small. But um, no, they probably have a decent amount. I'll buy it all. If they come out and say, we're rejecting it, then I say, good. I am always about a path forward. Bud Light did not apologize. Anheuser-Busch did not apologize that it's a wishy-washy nonsense, kept sponsoring this stuff. You know what we saw with Yingling? Yingling Presents, this, this venue, that's what it's called. It's called Yingling Presents in the name of this venue, Music Cafe or something. They were having an all-ages drag show. One of our viewers mentioned it on the members-only show, and I said, I'm going to tweet about this. Within days, Yingling issued a statement saying, we sponsor the venue, not the event. When we found out about it, we communicated with the organizers that this should be 18 plus. And everybody cheered. Conservatives who don't like drag performance said, hey, man, if you're an adult, do your thing. But no kids. And we agree with that. Hey, you shouldn't have kids at these things. Yingling did that. That's how you handle it. Bud Light did not. But if Bud Light goes back to the Bush family and they want to make it great again, I will give them that chance. Because I always say this, if you don't give someone the opportunity to to succeed after doing the right thing, they'll just go to your enemies. If you've got a dude who likes vanilla and you got a dude who likes strawberry, and then the company comes out and says strawberry is number one, and you say, hey, man, that's that's BS. Vanilla is way better. They come out and say, OK, OK, we're so sorry. We're going to go with vanilla. And you go, no, screw you. We hate you. You're strawberry. They're going to say, OK, we go strawberry. No, no, no. You don't want any of that. You want to say, OK, we accept your apology. We welcome, welcome you back. We will buy your product. Please come and support us. Flies with honey. Anheuser-Busch heir Billy Bush said he would be the first to buy back Bud Light should the beer's parent company, AB InBev, want to sell it. If they don't want that brand any longer, sell it back to the Bush family, he told out uh, Tommy Loren. Sell it to me. I'll be the first in line to buy that brand back from you, and we'll make that brand great again. While appearing on Tommy Loren is Fearless, Bush explained how disheartening it has been to watch the beer brand, 
which was so much part of his childhood, lose its legacy of valuing its customers and employees. The culture is completely gone now. They knew who their drinkers were. Even my dad at 89 years old, 90 years old, he was still going to the bar selling Budweiser back in those days. We've always cared very, very much about the people in America. What made this company great was America, of course. Bush added that AB InBev has missed the mark in knowing its customer base. Well, it's a European company. <clears throat> so what do you think? They, they don't care. They don't care at all. And now it's coming for Disney. Disney faces Bud Light style boycott, which may send Disney shares crashing from Finbold. Disney risks Bud Light style boycott as social media users threaten to never spend a single dollar on Disney after the company partnered with a TikTok influencer. Sean Altman, who identifies as a male, but sometimes dresses up as a woman, did a sponsored post for a Disney style TikTok account where he wore a Minnie Mouse inspired look. Parents were quick to respond with rage, comparing it with Bud Light's Dylan Mulvaney collaboration, which wiped out $27 billion off their market. And I think $400 million in sales. I must stress this again, my friends. It's called winning. And don't you forget it. They want you demoralized. They want you sad. They want you panicked. They want you afraid. But you know what? It's only because they're losing. It's only because wokeness is failing. In order to have their communist revolution, they need to win the culture. Right now, their battle is only in politics. They're losing the culture wars. They may be winning in a certain sense politically. The GOP does very little. The Democrats steamroll their opponents, but it means nothing. Don't make that mistake. It's the mistake I've made quite a bit. Democrats, the left, the neo-Marxists have long since tried, <clears throat> unsuccessfully, I would say, they've long since infiltrated cultural institutions. And with that power, they can enforce the law. As I like to mention, it's illegal for women to skydive on Sunday in Florida. Ain't no woman getting arrested for doing that. When you control the culture, you determine who actually gets arrested. Now that they're in the political arena, so desperate to deal with Donald Trump, they're falling into the trap Republicans have fallen into for quite some time. Losing the culture wars and gaining ground politically, meaningless. Politics is downstream from culture. So what happens? From Newsweek, Jordan Peterson calls out Disney after Sound of Freedom breaks new record. I love how they just have to put Jordan Peterson's name in the story about Sound of Freedom, but uh, sure. Psychologist and conservative influencer Peterson has become a vocal opponent of Disney in recent times, often sharing content that shows how the company has become woke. Meanwhile, the sound of freedom has become a surprise success at the domestic box office, consistently challenging films with greater budgets for top spot. The movie is based on the life of Operation Underground Railroad founder Tim Ballard and is aimed to take down a global child trafficking ring. And uh, he had quite a bit of success, I might add. The movie has been the subject of audience suppression, conspiracy theories, as a number of videos have gone viral, supposedly showing viewers being removed from watching Sound of Freedom in theaters for various unexpected reasons. Despite the supposed suppression, Sound of Freedom has been a huge success, taking in $173,440,252 at the box office, according to Box Office Mojo. Peterson celebrated this landmark. Uh, for Sound of Freedom by, by directing a tweet on X, formerly Twitter, squarely at Disney. Isn't that something? Are you paying attention, Disney, he wrote, before adding in parentheses, it's highly unlikely. Peterson has retweeted the news about Sound of Freedom's milestone from the far right, zerohedge.com. I love it. Zero hedge is far right. What? 
They're going to mention that Sound of Freedom came out on the 4th of July, blah, 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 blah. We get it. We get it. We get it. I got good news for all of you, my friends. Valuetainment. We love Valuetainment. Shout out to the PBD podcast. They write, ESG goes undercover as companies drop the acronym, but keep the agenda. They know you know. They know you're paying attention. They know you know what ESG is, so they're trying to get rid of it. Valuetainment writes, as the nationwide pushback against environmental, social, and governance policies in the corporate uh, corporate world continues, financial insiders are beginning to move away from the ESG branding, but the agenda behind it is still very much in place. According to a survey from Bloomberg, bankers and other members of the finance industry are continuing to implement the ESG strategy, even while recognizing that the acronym is becoming increasingly toxic for businesses. ESG policies stem from an investment strategy that prioritizes environmental causes, social justice issues, and governmental compliance. Backed by asset management groups like BlackRock, these policies became the driving force for left-wing agendas in corporate culture, which has now prompted an enormous cultural backlash. In recent weeks, S&P Global, one of the world's largest raters of corporate debt, announced it will no longer include corporate ESG scores in its debt ratings. Similarly, companies like McDonald's have begun purging all references to the agenda from their corporate websites. However, even though the offending letters are being removed, the agenda they represent still is in effect almost everywhere. A new Bloomberg study revealed that two thirds of nearly 300 global money managers surveyed will stop using the ESG acronym when interacting with clients, but will continue using the metrics behind closed doors. This story I bring up to point out two things. They may be losing, but they're not giving up. So I got to tell you, my friends, it's actually quite simple. Just keep voting with your dollar. Keep supporting what you believe in. Keep rejecting what you disagree with. It's really that simple. Here's what I think is actually happening. There are some polls right now that show that I love this, that uh, Donald Trump is down to Joe Biden. In the, in the general election. There are a lot of polls showing that he's, he's leading. So it's, it's fairly comparable. I think Trump is rivaling above or below, depending on the, on the poll. One of them shows that among independent voters, Trump actually is doing moderately well. Not perfectly, but, uh, you know, not so bad. He's actually improved quite a bit over the past year. And independents tend not to like Trump to to, to a certain degree, right? But I do think Trump will likely earn their votes. Here's what I've seen. A couple of years ago, I was hanging out with extended family. And some of these individuals held default anti-Trump views. They tend to believe narratives that made no sense. And they outright rejected things that were true because they did not read the news. One story that I often point out was when I was hanging out at a family event and mentioned that there was concern China would, get, China would get access to people's DNA through COVID tests. And one uh, individual said, that's a ridiculous, you can't say these things. And uh, so I quickly pulled up the article from NPR, which said exactly as I described and showed them and said, I don't know, I just read NPR. NPR is not Fox News, is it? And it seemed like a light bulb went off. It's now been a couple of years. And the sentiment I see among many of these individuals is no longer passively anti-Trump. It's passively anti-Democrat, complaining about crime in cities, complaining about Portland and Chaz and the autonomous zones and the homelessness and the taking dumps in the streets of San Francisco, the migrant crisis in New York and Chicago. Regular people now, I'm not saying they're pro-Trump. 
They've not come to me and said, no, I'm voting Trump, banging the fist on the table. No, they've just been like, I am sick of what these people are doing. So here's what I think. I think a bunch of these people are probably going to be secret Trump voters. I think you'll find that these people will claim, well, I'm sick of the Democrats, but I won't vote for Trump. I'm voting for Trump. They'll go and vote for him. Because they're starting to get fed up. Man, do you remember 2019? I can't believe it's been four years. How good the economy was back then. Hmm? It's 2023. I met so many people who said that they were making so much money, the best numbers of their lives. I met a furniture saleswoman. We were actually setting up IRL for the first time, Timcast IRL. And I was buying the table and the chairs and everything. And she laughed and said, this has been the best year of my life in terms of her career. She's like, I've, n- I've never made more money. It's, it's amazing. I walked in and I put down five grand on all this, equi- all, all this furniture. And she was just laughing, being like, right now, just, I'm like, let's just do it. And she's like, wow, this is great. And I was like, hey, look, we're doing really well, too. The economy was booming. Now it's not. Now you have endless videos of people saying, I can't buy groceries anymore. So what do you think they're going to do? They're going to vote for their self-interest. Trump is going to come out and say, I may be nasty, but I'm going to fix the economy. It's going to be very good. And they're going to be like, don't care, don't know, whatever, do it. Not everybody, but enough. I don't think Joe Biden is going to be able to pull this one off. He had the benefit of COVID lockdown. They don't have that anymore. Now you have a vigilant and angry, passionate group of people who are sick of this. I'm not saying they're going to vote Trump. I don't know. But I don't see the Democrats getting the vote. So you know what may happen? Trump has a fervent base. Democrats do not. Democrats had anti-Trump sentiment in 2020. They don't have so much today. Here's what I think may happen. Trump will get, in 2024, maybe 75 million votes. And Joe Biden will maybe get, I don't know, 70, 60. Hard to know for sure. My point is this. The indifferent people who voted for Joe Biden because they hated Trump are now going to throw up their hands and say, I don't even know anymore. And that means if Trump can maintain the same level of votes he got in 2020, he wins. And don't you forget it. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. So uh, you guys remember the dude from The Big Short, Michael Burry? Uh, he's betting that the U.S. market is going to crash and massively with a one point with a one point six billion dollar position against the S&P 500 and Nasdaq. OK, so for those of you who aren't familiar with this guy, I'll give you the simple version of his story only because I've seen the movie and that's about the extent to which I know. But back in 2008, they had these things called mortgage backed securities. Basically, they said, we're going to take we're going to bundle up all these mortgages, put it into a security that you can invest in. And uh, the general idea was at the time, if you take a, a decent amount of good mortgages and then take the bad ones, jam them in, it goes from a triple A to like a B plus makes the crap look good. The long story short of it is that Michael Burry and his firm, well, he, he convinced them to short mortgages. And people thought he was crazy betting against the housing market. That's nuts. And then sure enough, the market crashed and they made something like, what is it like, I don't know, 500, 800 million dollars or whatever in this, uh, this massive, the big short, they call it. He's basically doing the same thing now, but a lot of people are saying he's a, he's a, he's bearish. He thinks everything's going to collapse. That's what he does right now. Assuming this guy would be correct. And that's why everyone's paying attention. He's saying there's a major market collapse on the way, or at the very least, he's not saying anything. He's putting his money where his mouth is and keeping his mouth shut. 
He's basically making a big, big bet that the S&P 500 and NASDAQ are going to tank. I don't know what that means for you or your 401k, but here's the news. They say Burry held bearish positions against the S&P 500 NASDAQ 100 index worth a combined $1.6 billion at the end of the second quarter, according to security filings released on Monday. The founder of Scion Asset Management brought uh, a bought put options against $739 million of shares in the popular Invesco QQQ Trust ETF during this quarter and separate put options against $886 million worth of SPDR and S&P 500 ETF. Put options convey the right to sell shares at a fixed price in the future. They typically increase in value if the price of the underlying stock declines, making them a defensive bet. The dollar, uh, the dollar amounts of the positions refer to the value of the underlying securities, but the new filings do not reveal how much money Burry actually put on the line because they don't show the specific terms of the options he purchased. Interesting. Options contracts grant the holder the right to buy or sell a block of 100 shares of the security. Okay, look, I'm not a financial guy. Here's my general understanding. I say to you, hey, I'd like to borrow five bucks. I then, uh, or, you know, maybe I shouldn't use money as the, as the analogy here. I say, hey, let me borrow your car. I then go and sell your car for $20,000. Then all of a sudden they announce some insane policy causing the value of cars to collapse. I then buy the car back for $10,000 pocketing $10,000. I give you your car back. That's how it works. They say, hey, we're going to do it. We're going to short the stock. I'm going to borrow 100 shares, sell them for $100, wait for the stock to collapse, buy them back for $10, give you back your shares. However, if the price increases, now I've got to buy back those shares for $200. That means 100 bucks out of my pocket. That sucks. They're going to say Burry rose to fame with his bets against the U.S. housing market before the 2008 financial crisis. Michael Lewis's nonfiction book, The Big Short, was released in 2010, and the movie version came out in 2015. It's a good movie. It's a really fun movie, by the way. He also profited in the early 2000s by shorting high-flying tech stocks during the peak of the dot-com bubble. However, his bets have sometimes appeared to misfire. In late 2020, he initiated short positions against Tesla, but later said it was just a trade, and he'd exited the position after Tesla stock continued to soar, according to CNBC. It's not clear how Burry's recent options uh, options bets against NASDAQ and the S&P 500 have fared, given the regulato- regulatory filings do not show the terms of the contracts. I will, I will say this. Tesla's stock was at like 300 bucks. Then Elon Musk buys Twitter, now X, and then people start attacking him in the media relentlessly. This, combined with a few other issues, Tesla stock drops to like 100 bucks. Me, not being dumb, and a fan of Tesla said, it's probably a good idea to buy because there's no reason I can see for Tesla to just keep going down. Let's take a look at where Tesla is currently at. And, and I didn't put a lot of money in it, to, you know, just so you know. But I did decide, you know, buy the dip. What's going on with Tesla? Tesla is currently at $227. So that means I'm seeing a, what's my return? 54%. Amazing. I don't do a lot of trading. I don't have that much in stock or anything like that, but just some. So they're going to say, so far the, this year, the S&P 500 is up roughly 17%, while the NASDAQ composite is up nearly 32%. Outsized gains in a handful of tech mega cap companies such as Nvidia and Meta have fueled much of the year's rally. The question I suppose is, what's the, how long is he planning for? Like, is he, is he making this bet for? I do think with the upcoming election, political instability, I would not be surprised to see a bubble burst and the market take a hit. 
They're going to say that big tech stocks have been fueled by investor excitement and the potential applications of AI, as well as the prospects that the Federal Reserve will soon end its inflation fighting rate hikes. Meanwhile, Burry's fund has also liquidated stakes in Chinese e-commerce companies JD.com and Alibaba, as well as regional banks. The fund also increased its holdings in stocks related to oil, gas and media and travel and tourism. Among its long positions, the fund more than doubled its stake in online luxury goods market Real Real Inc., which is up nearly 100 percent for the year to date. This guy's making money, huh? It also added new stakes in iHeartMedia, Carter Communications and Warner Brothers Discovery, among others. The filing showed the fund also added a huge new position in Expedia Group and a block of shares in MGM Resorts International worth six point six million. That, this, this one also got me thinking, too. I don't know what's going to happen in terms of the S&P 500, if there's going to be a major market collapse. No idea. What I can tell you is, you know, I like to play poker. Uh, I like Texas Hold'em. And, uh, you know, I've been playing various forms of poker my whole life. <clears throat> not not as heavily and consistently as this year, though. But I used to play when I was younger with my friends. We'd play like five card draw and stuff like that. And then I started playing. I mostly played Magic the Gathering. So I'm a big fan of card games and strategy and all that stuff. And recently in this past year, I've been spending a lot of uh, my free time in various poker rooms, just having fun, low stakes games for the most part. And one thing I found is, boy, are there a lot of casinos popping up all over the place, which in my opinion is bad news for the economy, bad news for our society and culture. I view casinos as very, very fun, but I view them as something that exists that pops up when there is no moral or cultural direction for a society. It's mindless entertainment, number games for no reason. A lot of people lose a lot of money there and it destroys their lives. A lot of people waste time there for no reason. And that's why, you know, to be completely honest, a lot of the time that I would spend in casinos in the past several years is actually not that not that much. Um, maybe a couple times a month, we'd bring guests out to play some blackjack for fun, but we wouldn't spend a lot of time there. Texas Hold'em is a different game. It's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a strategy game. It's a people game. I think they say 70 to 80% of hands won are not the best hands because there's more to it than that. And so that's why I've been spending a, a lot more time researching and looking at casinos. They tend to be the only place where you can actually play Texas Hold'em, card games, poker, etc., Uh, In different states, they have different rules and regulations. But what I found was interesting. So he's investing in MGM resorts, travel. I actually, I don't know about travel, but I do think that in my personal opinion and not advice for anybody else, I would expect stock in casinos and entertainment groups to go up. Things like Penn Entertainment, you know, Dave Portnoy was bullish uh, on that. And the reason is social and cultural decay and a need for heavy distraction. There's a story out here with Charlestown races, as they call Hollywood Casino at Charlestown races. Apparently, it used to be the biggest poker room in the uh, D.C. area. They had something like 56 poker tables, and it was just massive. Everybody wanted to play here. It was the only place you could play. Then they opened Maryland Live. Then they opened, I think, Horseshoe came next. I could be wrong. And then um, MGM National Harbor. MGM National Harbor has a massive poker room of something like 50 some odd tables. It is always packed. And I am, I'm told, it could be not true, that it's the highest growing, highest grossing casino in the country. I'm not here to talk about casinos. I'm here to talk about the massive expansion of games of chance for money. People are broke, complaining about money. At the same time, these casinos are jam packed with people who can make bets that blow my mind. 
This is why I think the market, the system is collapsing. And I know it's a bit of a narrow view, but let me explain. I see these videos popping up all over the place of people saying they can't afford groceries. I then go and, and I'll go to MGM National Harbor. And mind you, full disclosure, and I mean this with, uh, uh, I'm not saying this to, to humble brag with a with degree of humility. Obviously, I am well off. I have worked for a very, very long time. And since, I don't know, 10 years ago, I've been, uh, prior to 10 years ago, I was relatively poor and broke. And then I had a series of successes, which led me to being more and more um, well off. I'll put it that way. Most of the money that we make here at Timcast is reinvested in the company. But of the money that I pay myself, aside from making investments and planning for my future, I have a decent amount of money that I would describe as disposable. I do not like to gamble. I don't like playing lots of money at casinos. I go to MGM and I am, my mind is blown when I see the amount of people playing table games with a $100 minimum bet. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you play that game? You sit down, these people have $1,000 in front of them and they make a $100 bet and then lose. And they put $100. I'm like, it's crazy. That's MGM National Harbor. Who are these people? This is the question I've always had that can afford to gamble thousands of dollars. I went to Vegas. We were in Vegas. Uh, we were flying back when I was going to the doctor. I saw a guy drop $40,000 on the craps table, lose it all in like 10 minutes. <laughs> I had $100. I had 100 bucks and I put down a green chip. It's 25 bucks on the pass line. And that's what I did. When I play, sometimes I might take out 200 bucks and, you know, you play small increments where it's cheap. But I go to these casinos and it's insane to me. Just, I'm sorry. It's absolutely insane to me. Something is deeply wrong in this economy when you have such, let's see, let's play a game. In this area, within two hours of driving, we've got Hollywood Casino, Maryland Live, Horseshoe, MGM, Harrisburg, uh, Harrisburg Hollywood, York Hollywood, Lady Luck, Rocky Gap, Delaware Races. And that's nine casinos all within a couple hours driving of where we are. Now you want to add another half an hour to it? We got Pittsburgh. Whew. Pittsburgh. I think they have Pittsburgh live. You want to do another hour? Now, now you're, you're, if you get into three hours within three hours driving of this location, then you've got two casinos in Philly. We're looking at just in, from where I am, in one hour, I can be at one of five different casinos and Charlestown is 15 minutes away. This is not a good thing. I like, you know, I like arcades. I like games. I like going to Dave and Buster's. I like playing skee-ball. I like winning prizes. I like games of skill. That's why I prefer poker over, say, blackjack. I, you know, blackjack can be fun, but I don't like those games where it's like you're like craps. You roll the dice. I'll, I'll play these games. But I look at all this stuff. And as much as I do enjoy playing, say, poker, which in the literal sense is gambling, but in the technical sense, it's, it's widely considered to be a, an overt skill game. You know, I look at all of this. I look at these stories and I'm just thinking to myself, I don't know how this system survives when we are effectively becoming Sodom and Gomorrah. So maybe this all leads to a major market collapse, but far be it for me to predict the future. No idea. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out and I'll see you all then. The way CNN reports this, I find interesting. They titled the story charges against Alec Baldwin could be refiled 
as forensic report shows trigger on gun used in rust shooting had to be pulled. Here's the real story. The prosecutors previously stated that if the tests confirmed the gun used on the rust shooting set had to be pulled, they will refile charges. The argument for dismissing the charges in April was that they believed there may have been a malfunction on the gun, which would make charges very difficult because, well, reasonable doubt. Now, the analysis has been done, and they say outright, the trigger had to be pulled. And it appears that uh, Alec Baldwin pulled the trigger. Now, here's the big story. I mean, we'll, 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 we'll go over the latest developments in Alec Baldwin being criminally charged, but the big story is the rush to defend him from liberals. This is the political game we're in. If you're on their side, you can do no wrong. Alec Baldwin, in all likelihood, whether you think it was intentional or accidental or otherwise, had a loaded round in a gun and he shot a woman on a movie set. They argue that it was an accident, not his fault. But they found live rounds in Alec Baldwin's gun belt. Or I think I think they found two. Maybe it was one. I think there's a strong possibility. Alec Baldwin intentionally killed this woman. I'm not saying I know for sure. Of course I don't. But the big picture, if you're a Democrat and you hate Trump, these people are going to come on Twitter and they will defend you. But here's the story before we get into all that. CNN reports independent testing on the weapon used in the fatal shooting on the set of the film Rust shows the trigger had to be pulled. The gun fired normally and did not malfunction, according to a report filed in court, raising the possibility that charges could be refiled against actor Alec Baldwin. Quote, the fired evidence cartridge is the consequence of a normal hammer fall from the fully cocked position of the hammer. The report compiled by Forensic Science Services in Arizona states. The report was filed as part of a defense motion on behalf of the film's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, who is charged with tampering with the gun used in the shooting, as well as two counts of involuntary manslaughter. The October 2021 shooting on a New Mexico uh, film set killed cinematographer Helena Hutchins. Can you believe it? It's been two years. They were struck by a live round of ammunition fired from the prop gun. Prop gun? You mean actual gun? I, I don't know why they do that. Being held by Baldwin while rehearsing the scene. CNN's calls to Baldwin for comment were not immediately returned. Baldwin was charged with involuntary manslaughter. Of course, we know they dropped the charges. Here's a quote. They say special prosecutors Carrie Morrissey and Jason Lewis said Baldwin could still face culpability and charges could be refiled. I don't get why CNN is so desperate to defend Alec Baldwin. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the whole point of this segment. This infuriates me. Let me read the actual quote, which they have to publish. They said the charges against Alec Baldwin were dismissed without prejudice because po because a possible malfunction of the gun significantly affects causation with regard to Baldwin. I'm going to I'm going to zoom in a little bit here so it's easier to read. They say uh, not with regard to Gutierrez. If it is determined that the gun did not malfunction, charges against Mr. Baldwin will proceed. Oh, what was that? The prosecutor said, let me read it again. If it is determined that the gun did not malfunction, charges against Mr. Baldwin will proceed. The prosecution anticipates making a final charging decision with regard to Mr. Baldwin Baldwin within the next 60 days, prosecutor said in a June court filing. When reached by CNN Wednesday, Morrissey said charges against Baldwin are still being considered and a final decision had not been made. 
According to the report attached to Gutierrez Reed's motion, the experts say the trigger was in fact pulled on the weapon, which Alec Baldwin has consistently denied. Although Alec Baldwin repeatedly denies pulling the trigger, given the test's findings and observations reported here, the trigger had to be pulled or depressed sufficiently to release the fully cocked or retracted hammer of the evidence revolver. Here's how I would handle reporting on this story. Title, Alec Baldwin, quote, will be charged in the in the Helena Hutchins shooting based on past statements by prosecutors as gun found to be in working condition or something to that effect. I put will in quotes because they said they would do it. Okay, fine. To be fair, though, I don't think it's fair to try and be fair to CNN. They said they reached out and they haven't given us a final determination as to what they will do. I'd, I just rely on past statements. Prosecutors say they will charge Alec Baldwin. New evidence shows the firearm was in working order and the trigger had to be depressed, suggesting charges will will come. Here's 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 the way I, I, I want to. Here's what I'm trying to explain. The assumption should be that they may ultimately choose not to charge Alec Baldwin, but that's an afterwards assumption, meaning the narrative should be prosecutors vow to bring charges against Alec Baldwin with new evidence. However, some speculate that may not be the case, but I don't know why CNN would would uh, report on some speculating or any kind of speculation. The reality is they said they'd do it. If they don't, that's the exception, not the other way around. They go on to say, if the hammer had not been fully retracted to the rear and were to slip from the handler's thumb without the trigger being depressed, the half cock or quarter cock notches in the hammer should have prevented the firing pin from reaching any cartridge in the firing chamber. That is to say, it was in working order. You pull it back, tick, tick, and then you press the trigger. Pull the trigger. They go on to say the weapon was inoperable when forensic science services received it after being broken during tests ran by the, ran by the FBI. When it was returned to operable condition, from an examination of the fired cartridge case and the operationally restored evidence revolver, the fatal incident was the consequence of the hammer being manually retracted to its fully rearward and cocked position, followed at some point by the pull or rearward rearward depression of the trigger, the report said. The only conceivable alternative to the foregoing would be a situation in which the trigger was already pulled or held real rearward while retracting the hammer to its full cock position. Although unlikely and totally contrary to the normal operation of these single action revolvers, such improper handling would result in the discharge of a live round. It added, investigators have not determined how and why live rounds were on the set of the movie. Well, the general idea, they said, is that people were using the gun to shoot things because they thought it was fun. Some of the evidence suggests that Alec Baldwin had live rounds on him. I should, I should not suggest, but there is evidence that in the gun belt he was wearing, there were live bullets. It's been a while, so I'll give you my thoughts and theories. Alec Baldwin apparently had dinner with Helena Hutchins. Some reports have said they were arguing over conditions on set. Alec Baldwin is, here's a few of the possibilities. Everybody wants to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, but that's just mind blowing to me. Mind blowing. I don't know why you'd do that. Here's a guy who's arguing with people on set and crew. Here's a guy who gave an interview where he said she kept giving him instructions, which he's not supposed to do because she's not a director. So he clearly is frustrated with her. They're arguing about money and work and safety. Alec Baldwin has live bullets in his gun belt. 
He then points a gun with loaded ammo at the woman who he is feuding with and pulls the trigger. How that does not lead to a grand jury indictment or uh, uh, charges of voluntary murder is beyond me. You would have to come up with some insane circuitous story. Alec Baldwin's arguments are completely immaterial to the entire conversation. Some random people on set were playing with with live rounds, accidentally mixed live rounds with the fake rounds, gave a fully loaded gun to Alec Baldwin, who did not check in any way because he's not supposed to. And then he cocked the hammer, pulled the trigger, pointed at her, shot her and said, whoopsie. That to me, I mean, you think about this. It has to go through the safety guy. Someone's got to take the gun, load the bullets in it. Someone then has to check everything. Someone then has to hand it to Alec Baldwin, who doesn't check. Alec Baldwin then needs to pull the hammer back and then pull the trigger. Alec Baldwin lied and said his finger wasn't on the trigger. They're now saying that there, I should say he claimed his finger wasn't on the trigger, but the report says it had to have been. Perhaps he didn't know about the live rounds. Fine. But I think Occam's razor suggests Alec Baldwin killed this woman. I, I just think about it this way. Alec Baldwin's fighting with somebody. He's got bullets. He he has bullets on him, okay? He then points the gun, pulls the hammer, pulls the trigger. I don't understand how there's any narrative. Any other narrative. This ridiculous, insane conspiracy of uh, negligence. Here's what matters. The way the media reports on all of this, because Alec Baldwin is staunchly anti-Trump, has been immense defense. The people who demand gun control because of the fear of accidental gun deaths are saying it's not his fault. Oh, it's not his fault. Sure. Yet in most states, if a child touches a gun, you go to prison. They say if a child has access in any way, even if you lock it up, if the kid can get to it, they argue that's access. The gun control people all of a sudden are not in favor of of charging someone who shot a woman. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? We'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if they do nothing, but we'll see. Next segment is coming up tonight at 8 p.m. over at youtube.com slash TimCastIRL. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then. In this viral video, a mob of teens jump up and down on cars, screaming and kicking them, while the man filming says that you guys are going to get shot. It's really amazing. I will uh, I'll play it for you. There's not much audio other than people just screaming and, and, and running about. And we have James Woods saying this is unfixable. And it got me thinking about a bunch of things pertaining to social order breakdown, as well as uh, racism and things like that. This is in Philadelphia. And as you can see, there's just a mob of teenagers. They appear to be I don't I don't know if it looks like they're all black teenagers and they're just jumping up and attacking random cars. That's the video for the most part. But there are a lot of videos like this. And many people on the left have said that it is a lie. It is a manipulation that people keep posting videos like this to imply something going on. I don't know if these videos are unique to now. I don't know if things like this happen all the time. I've certainly had my experiences and this isn't the only video. Here's a, oh, so this is the same video. This is from catch up, uh, catch up feed. It's not catch up. It's catch up. That's funny. But we have this one as well. Fans of Lil Durk stole thousands of dollars in merchandise after someone called in a false active shooter report at his concert in Chicago on Saturday. People stealing merch during concert active shooting. Here you go. 
Don't really think you need the audio. It's just people screaming, running around and just stealing things. Well, not everybody in this video is is black. Uh, Many people in the other video is black. And we keep seeing people post videos like this. I don't know. uh, I don't know. The argument, I I suppose, is that it's racist to post these videos. You end up with people uh, making the Scott Adams meme because Scott Adams had that uh, incident where he said white people should get away from black people. I think that's silly. I think that's dumb. I think you should stay away from criminals. But seeing this, seeing many stories like this, you know, got me thinking this person's (laughs) clearly not black. It got me thinking about social order breakdown and what could lead to active civil unrest. Let me tell you a story. When I was a kid, my family went to go see, I think we went to go see Babe. Could be wrong. I think it was Babe. I don't know. It was at Ford City Mall on the south side of Chicago. It's actually a southwest suburb. I think, I don't know what the suburb is because I think, I don't think Ford City is in Chicago, but the power went out. When the power went out, my family was like, we got to leave. And sure enough, as we were leaving, the whole mall lost power. And what did, what did we see? Everybody was just running around and stealing whatever they, they could steal. That's it. We didn't. My family just quickly got to the car and GTFO. But I've experienced things like this. I bring that up just to say, dude, this stuff has always happened, right? And this, this area, like where I'm at in the Southwest suburbs, it's like generally mixed race. There's white people, black people, Latino people. I think it's mostly like Latino and white with some like Polish migrants, uh, Polish immigrants, and of course, black people. But the people who are looting and stealing came from all different backgrounds. I think my experience growing up in that place is why I'm not a big fan of these racist narratives. You see these videos, which tend to be mostly black teens doing these things. It could be cultural, have nothing to do with race. It's just people in these areas engage in these flash mobs. But of course, you've seen rioting and looting from all sorts of different backgrounds. And this is this is one of the points I want to make before we get into the talk of like social order breakdown. Antifa's mostly white and they go to black neighborhoods and smash and destroy things. So I think that's important to point out when we're sharing these videos. You know, people can say like, oh, it's so racist. They're sharing these videos or whatever because it shows black teens doing this. And I'm like, no, many of these people also share Antifa, which is mobs of white people going around doing much the same thing. However, I do think racists certainly do post these videos and then act like all of this stuff is a ra- it's, it's an issue of race. I'm just like, dude, I rem- I'm, I'm old enough to remember when those two white women in Antifa were, were vandalizing a black neighborhood and two black women were like, stop destroying our neighborhood. I'm also old enough to remember when you had that. Uh, uh, I can't remember what shooting it was. There was there was writing going on. And one of the family members of the of the victim said, why are you doing this in our, our neighborhood? Go to white people's neighborhood. Racial animosity exists. It certainly does. But outside of all of that stuff, let's talk about, you know, I guess the issue of social order breakdown. You look at this video in Chicago. People are looting. They're stealing because someone called in a shooting threat. As soon as social order breaks down, this is what happens. In Philadelphia, seemingly for no reason, these kids are attacking vehicles. Look at this. They just run up, jump on this car. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. There's no social order. The dude filming the video keeps saying you're going to get shot. So uh, what happens when they do? What happens when there's a guy who lives in a neighborhood? McCloskey's, remember them? Black Lives Matter riders break down the gates to their private neighborhood. They come out with guns. They get criminally charged. 
What happens when people say the government's illegitimate because the government is supporting crime and reckless uh, destruction from various mob groups, flash mobs or otherwise? What happens when someone just says, hey, if someone you don't know shows up to our neighborhood, here's the text group. Let us know we're taking things into our own hands. I'm not talking about crime. I'm talking about just strangers in general. When I see this stuff and I see people jumping on the car like this, how how long until you think someone just slams the gas? We already saw this throughout the summer of love. All these far left extremists were attacking cars and a few of these cars sped through. I think it was in the Pacific Northwest, like Seattle or Portland, where BLM activists all stood on a highway. And when they started attacking a car, the car sped forward and slammed into a bunch of them, sending them flying. The person who drove that vehicle, I think they didn't get charged with any crime. There's video footage of it, fortunately. When we talk about, oh, look, look right here. You can see right here on the right, civil war and Tim Pool trending. When we talk about civil war, people assume it must be Democrats marching down the streets towards Republicans because these people are not smart. No, civil war can erupt when various factions start asserting authority over, the, over themselves and, and, and their jurisdictions. The federal government is forced to intervene. Let's say there's a scenario where a flash mob attacks a random neighborhood for no reason. Locals who live there have formed a local militia group. Uh, you know, militia typically referred to like the locals who would take up arms and had some kind of organization. But let's say neighborhood watch and they're armed and a bunch of people are running through, throwing bricks, setting fires. So these guys go out with guns and then some of these people in the crowd start attacking the people with the guns. What happens when these locals open fire like the roof Koreans did 30 years ago? Someone gets shot. Then the police say, we're coming in to arrest you. You're going, you're, you're going to be arrested. Right now, if something like that were to happen, I'd imagine the neighborhood watch individuals would surrender. They'd say, OK, I guess Ahmed Arbery is a really good example of this. A guy was terrorizing their neighborhood. They had evidence that he was. The police were looking for him. He's on camera committing a burglary. This has all been reported. I'm saying reportedly he's all of, all of these things. And uh, they were told not to intervene. They shouldn't have. But the McMichaels chase after him. And then when Ahmed Arbery runs around their vehicle and attacks Travis McMichael fighting for the shotgun. Again, I'm not saying it's, it's justified or not. I mean, if someone was surrounding me and he had an armed shotgun, I might want to defend myself too. Like what's going on? Ahmed Arbery dies. These guys go to prison. At a certain point, you're going to have people who say there's no sense in calling the police because they are against you, not with you. That if you try to defend yourself, you'll get arrested. We've already seen it. How many people have been arrested for defending themselves? So at what point do you get a group of people who say, I'm going to defend myself and my community, and we're not going to involve law enforcement? These riotous, um, this riotous mob uh, fights, you end up with people being injured or dead. And then the government tries coming in to intervene. The neighborhood watch says, we don't cooperate with you. You have no authority here. You've never protected us. You've never defended us. And you're only causing problems. What happens when people feel that the federal government becomes weak and is incapable of actually stopping this? If you can't stop this, why should anyone believe you can stop them? Get the point? That's the social breakdown. Right now, the assumption is that if you're a criminal, you'll get away with it, not because the government can't stop you, but because they want you to do it. That means if you defend yourself, the government will stop you. What happens when various communities start to believe that the government is incapable of enforcing the law, in which case they must take the law into their own hands? You end up with a flash mob fighting in violence and the locals shoot and kill 
some of the people per- perpetrating this political extremism. The federal government may then try to come in, but with no confidence or support, they get chased out, bricks thrown at them, and they leave. And that's it. When those things start to happen is when you get this breakdown of law and order and a potential civil war. But I'll put it this way. The last thing I'll say to our good leftist friends, I love the idea that these people are screaming Donald Trump is Hitler, who's staged a military coup, failed, and is now trying to bring about another attempt at seizing power of government, that fascists lurk around every corner. Vox.com says there's something like 14 million white supremacist white nationalists in this country, and that if we don't stop them now, we will become like Nazi Germany. And then they go, but there's no civil war. Laughable. Sure. But I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out, and I'll see you all then.